I am thrilled to welcome award-winning playwright and Tony nominee Dominique Moriso and musician, composer, producer, and hip-hop artist Jimmy Keys to the program. I got a chance to speak with the couple earlier, and you'll hear that conversation about their lives as career artists, their collaboration on the Broadway debut of Dominique's play, Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew is directed by Tony Award winner Ruben Santiago Hudson and features Shantae Adams, Joshua Boone, Brandon J. Durden, Odessa Osakalumi, and Felicia Rashad. The play will resume performances on January 11th at Manhattan Theater Club's Samuel J. Friedman Theater. Let's listen to part one of our conversation that includes details about their artistic journeys and how they connected as undergraduate students at the University of Michigan. This evening, we're speaking with Dominique Morisot and Jimmy Keys, husband and wife duo. They have their own separate things that they do, but they're coming together on this piece called Skeleton Crew, which is making its Broadway debut this month with an amazing cast at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater, now through mid-February. So we're just going to jump right in, speaking with Dominique and Jimmy. Welcome to Backstage Stories. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Talk about your backgrounds, where you're from, because my audience may not know that, where you're from, how you met, and uh, those moments that said to you that this is where you need to be, that you want to be an artist, you want to be a writer, you want to be uh, a hip-hop artist. So let's talk a little bit about that. All right. Well, yeah. Um, Let's see. So we met uh, in undergrad. Uh, we're both from uh, Detroit, and well, I'm from uh, the next city over, Southview, uh, right there in the Detroit area. But we met in undergrad at college. Uh, both of us were artists even back then. Uh, Dominique was doing poetry, and she was in the theater department. And I was a communications major doing college radio and throwing parties and events and performing on campus and things like that. So we met back in those days when Dominique was actually doing her first play uh, on campus. I think the the theater department had a uh, they had a pretty uh, narrow. uh, What do you call it? Roster of shows. Yeah. (laughs) And so Dominique, at 19 years old, decided, you know what, I'm going to write my own piece. I'm not seeing myself reflected in the work, so I'm going to write my own piece. I think she went away for a summer and came back to campus and, you know, she started talking about her show and, you know, to get the buzz out there. And so I actually came on and helped her promote it. And this at this time we were just friends. We weren't dating or anything, but uh, we knew each other uh, from campus and, you know, mutual friends and stuff like that. And so uh, did I leave anything out? <laughs> 
Spell it your way. <laughs> she, she, she saw me on campus and yeah, her eyes that's on, all. Oh, okay. All right. I'm waiting for the, the fabrication. I'm waiting to see if he's gonna say what, what was real. <laughs> you know. Um, no, but yeah, we we had Jimmy was also really popular around campus because he was very he was an event planner. He was a part of a music organization called Black Vibes. And so he was always doing music and I was always doing poetry and writing you know and, and writing my first plays and he was really good at promoting events so that's why you know I had to reach out to him as a friend to help me promote uh, my show and during that time we got really close and became best friends you know um and it, you know and Jimmy and I you know we we had also he had a crush on me we also started trying to date for a minute it went south <laughs> and then it, <laughs> and then it and then it came back around um during this time and and you know and we've been together ever since uh and so yeah and then I think what made us want to be artists I mean we met each other as artists that was that's the foundation of our relationship is creativity um my love for music and hip-hop had was there but had grown in my relationship with Jimmy he, he tuned my ear to the music, you know, that was the music of his heart. Um, he got more involved in theater and more interested in, you know, and what my my art was. And, and now, you know, he can hold his own in conversations about theater. And I can halfway hold my own in conversations <laughs> about hip hop. <laughs> hip hop is so expansive. It is really and truly expansive. I've done some reading and I'm just like, and I was there at the beginning of, of hip hop, you know, so um, saying, what's this? What's this new sound? It sounds good to me. Let's dance. You know, so. Um, <laughs> so um, I wanted to find out when you knew that you wanted to be an artist. Dominique, why don't you take that question first and then uh, we'll hear Jimmy's uh, journey. Um, you know, I, I come from an artistic family. My my aunt, my my uncle was married to a, a dancer, you know, and a visual artist. So my aunt, by marriage, was, you know, I grew up dancing at her dance school in Detroit, you know. Um, so I was introduced to classical music and jazz, you know, through dancing with her. Um, I used to play the piano. My mother, my mother was one of those kind of parents like that was going to try to get me to try everything, you know, mm-hmm. and just but see where, where where I was inclined. And I was always inclined towards storytelling, toward writing. You know, I, I was like, I was writing when I was a kid. You know, I was writing poems when I was, you know, really, really young. I was, I was really, my mother read to me a lot. And my father was uh, very creative minded as well. Um, and so even though he was really, my, my dad was a math genius, but he was also very creative. And so um, I just, I feel like the bug of creativity and art got into me very young. I knew I wanted to be a writer when I was, a, when I was like a third grader, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I would write little short novellas and, <laughs> you know, I'm passing around online paper, you know, to my friends and to my classmates. I just knew I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. And then I knew I liked theater when I was a kid. You know, I was exposed to, I think that the first play I saw was um, The Wiz with, uh, when it was on tour in Detroit in the 80s. Um, and I think I saw, I remember seeing Stephanie Mills 
in the whiz. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, so I, uh, yeah, it was just like the exposure. I knew I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid and it only grew when I got to like, when I got to high school and when I got to college, but I, I stayed on the track of theater my entire young life. Jimmy? And so for, for me, I would have to say, I guess my earliest recollection is, uh, the summer between fifth and sixth grade, I wrote and recorded my first rap on a karaoke machine. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, my my parents are actually not in the arts. Um, my mother was a chemical engineer and my father was a district manager at the Detroit Free Press. And so, but my father was uh, a music lover. He had a record collection um, my earliest memories of hip hop were actually songs that he introduced me to. He had on 45. And so, you know, when we talk about it now, he actually remembers it backwards. He thought that I introduced him to it, but he, mm-hmm. he introduced me to it. And so I think that passion started probably between fifth and sixth grade that summer. And then, um, it hit new phases, you know, when I got to high school and, um, uh, a friend of mine was a DJ. He started producing, doing just like uh, stuff inside his bedroom. He had some primitive equipment. We would blend two records together and make these uh, homemade instrumentals. <laughs> and those became like our earliest uh, original recordings. And, um, you know, when I got to college, I saw like an abundance of resources and, you know, whether it was like music classes, whether it was the, the radio station with equipment um, and event planning and stuff, it, 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 it sparked uh, something different in me. I, I began to think in, in college is the first time where I actually began to think like, this is something that I could do for, for life. It was always a passion and I always did it. Everyone in high school knew that I did that and, there's actually a bad music video out there somewhere uh, that I had to do in my uh, speech class. <laughs> and it will be on TMZ. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's destroyed, but it's you never know. destroyed. <laughs> but so, yeah. So I think at each phase, you know, as you begin to think about a career, the, 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 the arts, you know, our, our love for the arts evolved and kind of morphed naturally. And then I will say Dominique was the first one to really actively take a step. You know, she came out of Michigan um, just before me. And so she worked in Detroit for a couple of years, for a year, actually. And then she took off for New York. And um, after undergrad, I was working in in the Detroit area and um, wanting to get to New York. And Dominique got out there ahead of me. And uh, I think it was actually seeing her take that leap is what um, made me actually feel like I could take the lead. Mm. Okay, so you followed her. <clears throat> I did, I did, I did. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah. Talk about your collaboration. You, you spoke about your collaboration, your first one, when you were in undergrad. How has that collaboration grown over the years and in what kinds of projects? I mean, it's interesting because we've always just sort of orbited around each other. We haven't interfered in each other's artistic journeys, really. We're just there 
to to help and support, but we always we just support, you know. So like uh, when I was in college, I needed help. He was really good at marketing, you know. That's what he went to. That's what he got his, you know. He got his degree in communication. So I would just say, hey, how do I do this? And Jimmy was like the he was the master marketer at Michigan. <laughs> he was doing stuff. He was just doing stuff with email that people wasn't doing then, you know. Um, but so he would get people to come out. So then, you know, then when he was working, like when he would do music, you know, I would just come around and just be in the studio sometimes with him or like, you know, just listen and visit. And then every now and again, you know, he wanted some poetry on his you know, on his album or something, or he wanted to get me to do some of my poetry to music with his producer friends. So I would try that, you know, um, or I would, you know, need some help with, you know, in my plays, I would say, help me pick this kind of music or pick this kind of sound, or what do you think of this? Or we would just run stuff by each other. Like, Hey, listen, I've, I've read him like every scene of every play. <laughs> it was like two in the morning. I'm like, all right, are you sleepy? Wake up, wake up. Just can you listen to this 10 minute scene for a minute? You know? But then he'll be like, hey, can you listen to this song or watch this video, you know, and with sleepy eyes, one eye open, we'll like look at each other's art, you know. Um, and but we also we we also over time, I mean, we also used to like write poems together or like we taught poetry uh, in New York. We, we, when Jimmy moved out here, we both got this job teaching poetry at Police Athletic League. And uh, none of the, nobody knew we were a couple, even the, um, even the people that hired us, you know, knew we were a couple. We were just like co-teachers, but we were like always close and co-teachers. So maybe people thought about it. I don't know, but we just never talked about it. Um, but we used to teach, you know, poetry together. So we would collaborate on like, what are our, what are our lessons for our students? And then that, then I would say we used to try to write together sometimes. I mean, we've done a lot of different collaborations over time, but I would say recently, Mm-hmm. is when you started like scoring for my some of my work you know and when we first did skeleton crew and that wasn't through me that was through our director Ruben Santiago Hudson he came and saw Jimmy um while Ruben and I were working together Ruben came and saw a show of Jimmy's a live show that Jimmy was doing that was just you know yeah, it was important yeah it was a performance in Harlem uh on Dominique's birthday that's right it was a birthday party and we uh my band performed and Ruben came out that night and I, little little did I know, I guess uh, I guess the performance stuck with them. And when it came time for Skeleton Crew, he actually uh, this is the off Broadway production. When it came time for the off Broadway production of Skeleton Crew at Atlantic, he you know said to Dominique, he's like you know would you, you, you we need hip hop I think for this. How would you feel if I brought in Jimmy? And uh, I was like, you should, you absolutely should bring in Jimmy. He knows everything about my work, you know. And so that's that's sort of I think where it became like in theater people started to get to know him as a musician, um, and so the his that metamorphosis w- was very organic from just the theater community starting to come out and see his shows and and mixing um, you know our disciplines getting mixed intertwined I should say. So I have to give a special thanks to Ruben for getting me off the blacklist. Um, this is a little known fact, but I was actually in Dominique's second play ever you were. in college. <laughs> in college, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and actually, I, I, we did a soundtrack back then that's as right. well too. We sure did. So, we did. And then I haven't been able to get hired since. That's okay. And, and so until <laughs> Ruben Santiago Hudson called that faithful day. And, and got me off the blacklist. Yeah. 
Well, maybe not as an actor, but okay. <laughs> thank you. I'm mean, not doing rapper actors anymore. I'm not doing that. I'm not contributing to that legacy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what is it like to live with another artist? Uh, especially when you're not collaborating on something. What is it like to, to be in your household? <laughs> Great question. I ain't going to answer that. I'm, I'm, you go. Um, so, it, I, you know, for us, it, it feels perfectly normal. I guess the, the the best answers to that question, I'm trying to frame it by thinking about when we've had company and guests and visitors and what observers have said hmm. about uh, being in our house. I mean, for us, everything, you know, it's perfectly normal to blast music at 1030 a.m. <laughs> uh, in my mind. But, you know, for I, 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 we have to think about it, I guess, from the perspective of um, people that aren't in the arts. And so I think it's... Uh, What's their observation? Like, I thought, I, I'm like, what do people say to you? <laughs> people yeah. stayed at our home. I mean, yeah, what is, that, what is your... It's a great question. I, I, you know, one of the things I, I most often feel from, like, friends, family, people looking in is that um, it's like, oh, okay, this is fun, but when do you, when do you work? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. There's that. There's that. There's that. But quite honestly, it feels like, you know, when we're at home, it actually feels like we're always working, mm-hmm. uh, especially these last couple of years um, being in the pandemic. I mean, we already worked from home before the pandemic, but now the world has kind of shifted in a way that is like forced us to even be more um at home, at home, and, at home. And, and around each other. Yeah, yeah we used to we used to get out for meetings, and mm-hmm. I, I used to be out a lot at night for events and, and you know performances and things like that, concerts. And um, but we yeah, yeah. Now we just we just be there all day. And and it's funny because from the outside looking in, I do that. I can understand how people. It just seems like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, you know, like we're, I'm in my office. I'm, now, if we're in our offices, you know, because we have offices at, at home, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like that's something official's going on. We in our offices, you know what I mean? Even <laughs> if you sat there, what is it like coloring? <laughs> Drawing on posters with markers, you know, but that's part of the work, you know. Or Jimmy's playing music or he's like, he's listening, you know, he's putting you know, he's editing music or he's like, or we also DJ, you know, both of us DJ. So like we're in his office is where his, the DJ equipment is. So we go in there, we're blasting music and we're just like playing with music. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like a toy probably, but it's also how he, you know, we're working together on um, some other, you know, upcoming projects and he's got to find music for me for those things. So he goes, he's doing, he goes into a deep dive and I come in there just to listen or to add my, excitement or my ideas or whatever um and for me i mean my my being in my my world in the house is like you know it's reading (laughs) you know it looks a little more like a student you know it's like reading or it's writing but some of the process for me is imaginative so i I need to write with colored paper you know and pens and markers you know and put things on boards or i need to you know uh 
or I walk around talking to myself. That's the other part, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you build a character. I just walk around mumbling to myself out loud, <laughs> you know, I have that we're, we're muttering, you know, um, looking probably nuts to people. But also because we have our son, you know, I mean, our house is, is definitely stays on creative, creative mode. You know, we like to introduce our son to music and art and stories and stories and music is what fills our home. I think, yeah, all the time, you know, and even even if it's television, you know, but I mean, it's still stories and music. We listen to when we couldn't go to concerts live. We were like NPR, a tiny desk needs to stay yes. on YouTube. You know, what I'm saying? we just mm-hmm. stay on live music on YouTube um, and get that. And then, you know, my, our son plays with uh, instruments. You know, and we're just like, let them see the live bands performing and like match his instruments to their instrument. You know, that's that's music and playing, it, it, playing with music and, and art and um, stories is what we is what our home is like. How has the pandemic changed your view as an artist? How has it affected your work? At, not just as an artist, but as an advocate for the arts as well? Well, I think it's one deepened our appreciation. And I'd say just the average, I don't know if people have realized that, but one of the things that I've heard throughout the, the pandemic, people saying, imagine trying to get through this without music, film, TV, uh, books, all these mediums that, you know, quite honestly, when it comes time for like funding in in, in schools, some of the first things that get cut mm-hmm. are actually the same things that are getting people through the pandemic mm-hmm. and helping with their sanity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it for us as career artists and just, you know, having done this for so many years, you know, career wise, it just made us think more how are we going to continue to do this to to live out our passions? How, how is it going to manifest ourselves now? The question was never, it wasn't like we're going to stop being artists now, but it was, okay, so, all right, we can't gather now, so I can't do shows and, you know, theater is shut down for a while, so maybe we have to pour our energy into this aspect of it. And, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, I've been, getting a lot of calls and doing music for um, pieces that have been developed online mm-hmm. and or other playwrights. I mean, he's working yeah. with other playwrights. I'm not, I'm not as old. He's not dating me exclusively. He's, he's out here. He's in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful. Yeah. Because of my work with Dominique, I've been getting calls from, from other, uh, other artists and, mm-hmm. you know, the future looks bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, I I would also say for the advocacy part of it, it uh, is just, you you know, during this downtime, we've had a lot of time to Mm reevaluate the field that we're in, you know, or just spend time with uh, in think tanks. And I've been in so many Zoom think tanks, you know, over the last two years on just ways for activism and ways to push our field forward and, um, calls and just with a lot of different organizations of just like what what kind of things do we want to see be different when we come back 
you know, um, and and things have returned in a lot of ways to business as usual. So those think tanks and those phone calls and Zoom calls feel like they've been very important because we don't want to let the the energy go of the, the movement that formed in the absence of being able to practice theater, you know. What that movement wasn't there just to be like a filler. It was there to change theater when we come back, you know. So um, I'm I'm still very committed to that movement and to not seeing things return as usual and pushing pushing up against that every time I see things going back to normal. Um, the normal that was before the pandemic was not a good normal for everybody. So that that part we have a lot of time, I guess, to connect and focus with other artists who are who are also coming into their truths and theaters in this moment of reckoning. And, you know, and people are realizing, I guess, life is too short, you know, to continue to, to do this work without doing it equitably and with safety and with your, your wellness at the center. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a lot of time to get our, our wellness centered in our own personal lives, which I think also contributed to, uh, us being able to take in, you know, and have our son at the end of 2020. That was a, a year of focusing on our own wellness to be able to be good parents for a child. Okay. And he is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he is really, really cute. In what ways, uh, Dominique, does your work uh, do your plays reflect your your activism, your your love for humanity, uh, but specifically for for black people? You know, I mean, I, I, I am my plays. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, like maybe everybody feels that way or maybe they don't. I don't know. But I just I, I am my work, you know. So Skeleton Crew is about workers rights. It's about not treating human beings like machines and not replacing human beings with machines, you know, but like um, looking at the cost of human labor and, and the sacrifices that people make in order to make your life easier, you know, that's just, and that, and the sacrifices that black folks have made to make this country, you know, the, the wealthy country that it is, you know, um, and the things that were done on the backs of black people to make this country, the wealthy country that it is. Uh, I, my work is, that's what my work seems about. And that's what I am about. That's what I emphasize. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm not disconnected from those things. So no one should be ever surprised if I, (laughs) you know, any of the stances that I take in this field should not surprise people if they're familiar with my work and especially now that they've produced my work because I am my work, you know, and I I tell a theater, like, you know, you can't have me here and have me, I always ask questions about like, what's the policies here, you know, because, um, and my work is going to be talking about this. I can't be out here having, you have an opposite policy (laughs) than what my work (laughs) amplifies, you know? Um, and I'm not saying it's not always a perfect marriage now. It's not that, you know, theater has a lot of reckoning to and, and a lot of things to do and a lot of growth that it has to uh, do. And I'm I'm OK if you aren't where you're supposed to be, but you I need to know what, where you're at on the journey. And if you that the journey has begun, OK, and that you're doing the you are doing you are you are in the middle of the work or you're even at least started the work to a, a pretty sizable degree. 
You know, I can't take nobody that's just figuring out the work needs to be done. But I can take people that are like, no, we got it. This is what our plan is. This is where we're starting. And, you know, we are, we need help. And, you know, I'm okay with that part of the journey, but I'm not, if you're not even, if you can't even acknowledge that you have work to do and you haven't begun anything, then that's where we, that's where I fall apart with you. Okay. Any comment about that, uh, Jimmy? Or has she said it all? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I definitely, as uh, a passenger uh, to Dominique's work, I, I can definitely attest to she is everything that she writes about in her in her work. And um, I was honored to to be a part of Skeleton Crew because uh, it also hit close to home. My family is also from Detroit and mm-hmm. uh, worked in the factory. My dad was a union man. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother worked in a plant. And actually, I worked in a plant for a summer. She got me hired at at her job. So I actually worked in a plant for a summer in, in Michigan, uh, downriver. And um, workers' rights, you know, music, theater, um, people, I, I think we have this, you know, I, and at least I did, uh, this view of um, art sometimes that's kind of like high arts and and. and can be you think when you think of uh uh the term theater snob you know one of the things i love about dominique's work is she writes about the people with dirt under their nails um the people that are heroes um but may not be called that um because of their income level or their community the community they live in dominique uses um her beautiful poetic words to um paint these people in three in a three-dimensional way that gives them life and humanity. And, and she brings to life the people that don't necessarily uh, get rewarded or get celebrated. And um, yeah, I'm just honored to be a part of it. What are you experiencing right now with some of the pauses that the show has had to, to go through uh, because of COVID because of Omicron, the Omicron variant. So let's talk a little bit about that. And also, uh, Jimmy, to talk about scoring the piece as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Ruben came to me in the middle of last year uh, and and said, hey, you know, he, he he took a position with MCC. I think it was, I'm getting 2020 and 2021 confused. <laughs> so they kind of just blend. But I don't, it was either 2020 or 2021. I cannot remember which. <laughs> but he came to me and said um, that he, I think it was 2020. And we were talking about what we wanted to do and when we come back, you know. And he and I have been dying to get back together on, on Skeleton Crew. We just love working together on it. We don't feel like we were done. Right. Um, and so he, you know, we, we were talking about his new position at MTC. And I was saying, yeah, me and MTC have been talking about working together for a long time. And he was like, well, you want to do Skeleton Crew there? And I said, I think we have to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think that's a must. You know, I think especially what that play means in that moment, in the moment we were in and then the moment of now. I mean, Lord, the moment of now, the play just keep getting more contemporary. I didn't know that was possible for a play that was written about 2008 and it was written in 2010. Uh, it was supposed to be contemporary for me in 2010, you know? <laughs> now it's like 2022 and this joint is talking about now. It's like, 
being talking about which factory is closing and the, you know they're they're in the the lines and the play are so our reality as theater right now <laughs> like, like this factory is closing and that one oh man they went ahead and closed that one and we like wait are we talking about factories or shows you know um and so the fragility of workers right now is crazy and uh we're all feeling it so this story just it just increases its um urgency for us uh so that's what we knew we wanted to work together on it because we just weren't done with it we just weren't done um and then i think also uh his desire to work with jimmy to work with to, to work with chesney snow uh you know who who was also our vocal i forget what it's called like uh foley, foley artist yeah what does and that mean he's doing beatboxing that's okay that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> that's a theater way of saying, saying beatboxer. it. Beatboxer. Um, yeah, beatboxing is happening up in there. He's doing some kind of funky stuff with it. You know, Jimmy's producing. They Ruben wanted to take everything up a level for Broadway and really try to give the play its due. So I'll get to your question about how we've been impacted by the the Omicron of it all, but I'll let Jimmy talk about working on that music first. Yeah, <laughs> so, keep it on high note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so I did uh, like two and a half pieces for um, the off Broadway production of Skeleton Crew, and then um, shortly after Ruben called Dominique, he called me, and he he, he told me, you know, the news. Hey, we're going to take this thing to Broadway. But, you know, he was like, I want to take everything up a notch. So I need you to take it up a notch. And, um, you know, in, in the years since we had done the original production, I like to think that I, my, my production skills had, had progressed and elevated a lot. And so uh, when he said that, I instantly just kind of, you know, this is a, maybe a year ahead of time. I instantly started, my wheels started turning and I started thinking about ways to, to up the ante on it. Um, and so when it came time for the production, uh, we, we brought in basically, I say all new transitions. We kept maybe one or two musical transitions between, uh, segments, but we brought in all new music for that, uh, as well as reworked the intro, uh, the outro and the top of act two with a complete new, uh, composition, new score, and, uh, just really up the ante on everything. Uh, by this being the Broadway production, we were also had a few more uh, resources and tools that gave us. But some- you also did that thing where you started adding in different Detroit sounds. You just tell them about that. Like how we have a little bit of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Detroit yep. techno. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. right. Yep, yep. So, I mean, it's already written in into the script. Dominique literally writes that she wants the ambient sounds of the factory um, to, to be fused with the music. So that kind of was always the foundation of it. And she cites Jay Dilla, legendary Detroit producer, as inspiration. So we kind of had like a vibe, a pentameter for how we wanted the music to, to sound and go. But this, this go around, uh, you know, Ruben had brought me in for hip hop and he knows that that's my specialty. But there were other elements that I thought were that I wanted to capture in this production. And so uh, in particular, two of them were um, so Detroit has a strong uh, it has many different names, but it's been called house. It's been called techno. Um, a lot of people even call it booty music. These are all adjacent. Booty music sounding. is the most popular way to say it. <laughs> yeah. Detroit booty music. And so these are all adjacent sounds. 
So I wanted to fuse a little bit of that in there, uh, as well as um, Detroit Ballroom. Um, outside, a lot of people are familiar with Chicago Step. Um, well, Detroit has its own version, which is Detroit Ballroom. Um, and I, we sprinkled some of that in there as well, just to give a broad stroke of the city from a, from a musical standpoint. Yeah, it's just inspired. You know, I love the way you guys rep Detroit. I mean, <laughs> really and truly rep Detroit. My mother spent some time in Detroit in the early part of her marriage to, to my father, and she always talked about being in Detroit. Um, when I visited Detroit before the uh, pandemic, I had a great time. It's a great great city on on the comeback mm-hmm. i think on, on the comeback on the come up and uh, a lot of great things are happening in detroit and we need to realize that even though um my heart of hearts i'm a motown baby mm-hmm. um, but there's more going on musically mm-hmm. in detroit um other than uh, the motown sound which migrated to uh, the West Coast, you know, so yeah. and people yeah. get a, a good um, sample of that in in Skeleton Crew. I saw the off Broadway production; it was wonderful. This production is wonderful, but I also noticed that the the soundscape, the the music, really grew and in a really fantastic way. And in some instances, I just wanted to to get up and and dance. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but it's 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 amazing work. It's absolutely amazing work. So, okay. yeah, you asked about the how, how the Omicron variant mm-hmm. up and down of it has affected us. Like you know, I guess I did sort of talk about it. It's a little bit like how it is in the play. You know, you you just mm-hmm. like coming to work and you're like, which one? Who made it? Who didn't make it? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what shows? What shows got hit too many times and they have to close or you know, you're also coming in like, oh, some of these shows, they want to take a cut and a pay cut and a this and a that to keep that show open. And there's just so many things, you know. I mean, with Ain't Too Proud, my musical, we were, you know, we try to figure out how to, we all decided to take a pay cut, you know, to try to keep the show open. And that still didn't, uh, didn't save the day, really. Um, and so it's a lot of, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of trepidation, but it's also, I have to say, I have to speak to the Skeleton Crew cast in particular, that the, the company, really, not just the cast, the whole company of the people working on Skeleton Crew, there is such faith and commitment and passion and compassion in this group of people that want this story to be told. They want this story to be told. I, I'm, I'm humbled by it. And they fight for the story to be told well. Um, they they fight to keep the morale up and the passion up for the show. So, you know, I mean, every time we circle up, you know, Ruben runs a tight ship and a, and a really amazing family. But it's other people inside of this cast and this crew and this company that also keep the faith going for us. And we that has felt for me more um, inspiring than anything. It's just how much other people around this show believe in it. You just you find yourself lucky in life if you ever do any work where, you know, it's more than about just being the optics of being on stage or being on Broadway, that this isn't even about that, that this is about something bigger. And that feels amazing. This is Backstage Stories on listener-supported WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming at WBAI.org. I am Marcia Pendleton, your host, 
And before we get to the third and final part of my conversation with Dominique Morisot and Jimmy Keys, I want to tell you how you can win tickets to join me for opening night of Skeleton Crew on Broadway. Send an email to marcia at wbai.org. That's marcia at wbai.org. And place opening night in the subject line and put your name and contact info in the text box. I only have a few pairs of tickets available, so it's first come, first serve. Here's part three of my conversation with Dominique Moriso and Jimmy Keys. We're back with Dominique and Jimmy, and now we want to talk about what's next. In the little break that we had, you talked about something that was going on for you in Detroit that you're collaborating on. So you want to speak a little bit about that, and then we can move into the realm, back into the realm of of theater and music. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we are in the process, we've acquired a property in Detroit, and we are in the process of developing an artist residence what do we call it though? We call it the creative, artist. We call it the creative arts residence. A creative arts residency. So what we're trying to do is uh, we we bought property that's really that's in a very centralized part of Detroit, uh, um, and we're trying we're turning our house into an artist friendly space. So it will have residential space on the top floor of the house for artists who both live in the city and need time to just be artists without thinking about you know, all the other things and they come be a part of this residency space um, or if artists out of town who want to come spend some time creating in Detroit in collaboration with Detroit artists. Um, and so the, the main floor will be event space. You can do your poetry readings or your art galleries or your whatever performances, how music shows, whatever you want to do, reads. table reads, listening parties, everything. Um you can do that on our main floor. And, and then, then our basement will be dedicated to music. We will have uh, you'll be able to rehearse and record uh, musicians and producers and singers and rappers and, and a uh, recording studio. Yeah, it'll be a full. And also people who want to do their podcasts mm-hmm. or have other artistic endeavors that they need to do recordings, radio shows and what have you. So we will have a fully interdisciplinary interdisciplinary creative space yeah for our so that's what we're we were working on that before the pandemic and then you know it, the pandemic stalled our plans um but we're back in that we're that's what we're having conversations with the city of detroit about we're trying to add proper acquire uh more property next to our home because there's empty lots in detroit that we've been trying to get um so that we can build out you know the one one of my dreams in life is to have the Lorraine Hansberry statue that that we're working on with uh Lynn Nottage and Julia Jordan and, and those folks who are trying to get the Lorraine Hansberry statues tour to go around and go to the city of Detroit. We love to have our space be somewhere that can um hold that statue. I'm putting it in I'm I'm putting it on I'm talking about it all I'm speaking into existence. Uh but, you know, but also just have that to be a hub for, for Black artists in our city. And so that's what that's something we're working on right now. Yeah, we're really so, excited about. We're excited about the area, too, because there is an art gallery on our block with us. And then down the street, we're also down the street from the Motown Museum, right. which is in the, the middle of a $50 million expansion uh, yeah. right now. So we, we we feel like we're at the, the, the forefront of a new burgeoning uh, arts district. Yeah. 
That's right. And we want to be at the forefront of it and, and create like a little black arts district inside of the larger arts district that's happening in the city. So, you know, that's our goal. That's what we're working toward and have the land. The first thing is to get the land, you know, so we... we Sounds exciting. Sounds exciting. Very exciting. Maybe this Philadelphia in turn Brooklynite maybe come a Detroiter. Come on. We try to get the people, y'all come buy some property in Detroit. (laughs) You know, we really are trying to, I mean, we are part of a lot of... uh, Black uh, groups of friends who are trying to, you know, be a Black real estate groups, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started a, a real estate, you know, investment company so that we could create, you know, buy, buy, black, buy, buy Black homes, you know, okay. and Black business and Black, you know, and just be able to invest in ourselves real estate. And we would love to see more people come, um, especially more Black folks come to Detroit and buy property, you know. Okay. Um, because we don't have a lot, you know, we don't want to lose black ownership and black land, like black, the history, the legacy of black folks and wealth is mm-hmm. being boxed out of land and home ownership, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we can flip that, that and do it in places like there's places in Georgia where they're like black safe havens, right? Like black people buying acres of land and farming and doing that kind of stuff. And we want to see how, how we can inspire people to, to see that vision for Detroit as well and come there. And another thing about Detroit, you know, we get such a a, a black eye in the news and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Detroit is essentially the densest population of black people outside of anywhere on the continent. We have the densest population of black people anywhere in this country. Um, you know, when we were growing up, it was what, 91% black, yeah. 80, 89% yeah. black. And, um, and it's still basically the blackest city in the country. I feel like when you say the continent, just for, I don't know who's listening, but like the continent of Africa, just to be clear, <laughs> to be clear about you, it. outside the continent of Africa, it has the most black people. <laughs> um, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're the blackest city in the country. Blackest okay, city. all right. Okay, so what's next for you uh, in, in theater and in music? We're actually collaborating on the next few projects, yes. actually. Okay, so let's hear about them. Yeah. The AD for Skeleton Crew, uh, Story Ayers, is uh, directing Confederates at Signature Theater. Okay, yeah. and folks, AD means assistant director. Yeah, or associate. Oh, associate directors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so... Uh, after talks with Story, I've come aboard to do the music for Confederates. So I will once again be back um, working alongside Curtis Craig uh, over at the Signature. We'll be doing the music and sound design. So, yeah, Jimmy's a co-sound designer on Confederates. My play Confederates at Signature Theater, um, which is about two Black women, one that's an enslaved rebel and one that's a professor at a modern, well, a progressive professor at a modern day uh, university. And they're both navigating institutions of racism and white supremacy and uh, sexism. And when you, as the play goes on, the line between which one's the past and which one's the present gets really blurred. Okay. Um, so, uh, but it's just speaking to like right now to like the critical race theory conversation and, you know, and this invoking like Sojourner Truth and Nicole Hannah Jones, you know, um, and so this this play is about black women in authority and leadership and also um looking at how that how institutions of racism 
still exist in our country. Um, and then, uh, then our next, we're also working together on uh, Soul Train, the musical, which is directed by Camilla Forbes and um, and choreographed by Camille Brown. Jimmy is is our music consultant on uh, Soul Train. Um, and he was helping me, you know, curate the music for that will go into inside of the play to help tell the story. So mm-hmm. it's just a catalog musical. And so we have to find music that fits the right genre that comes from the Soul Train camp and tradition. And so um, so he's been working with me on that. Um, yeah. Well, what else you got going on? You said, like, I'm done. My, that's all I got. <laughs> no, not quite. We, not quite. We we want to remind people that your Broadway debut, the piece that brought you to Broadway, ain't ain't too proud. The life and times of the Temptations. You'll be able to see that until January sixteenth at the Imperial Theater. So, Soul Train is not your first rodeo in terms of writing a, a catalog musical and uh, okay. Soul Train is is my youth. So I'm going to be right there. <laughs> and Ain't Too Proud is also on tour. tour. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. just begun as, uh, you know, national tour. So it will be in a city adjacent to you <laughs> sometime <laughs> this, this year. Okay, um, so music. And this is so music. I have two solo projects coming out this year. One, I worked with a, a dynamic production duo called Cultural Bastards. I have a project coming out with them called The Drawing Board. And then after that, I have uh, another project uh, produced by myself entirely called Keys to the Booth, uh, Volume 2. It's the second installation of that project. And then uh, I have a single coming out uh, directed the video the music video was directed by Lakeisha May who we spoke about earlier um that video will be coming out in the next few weeks actually uh for a single called Medicine Man and then lastly uh when we get back uh to the west coast we're going to resume um developing and working on a developing a tv show yeah about his life in the music industry and we're we're both working on that too so yeah I guess we'd be collaborating So, yeah. So I'm going to take this moment to say thank you so very much for spending time with us this evening to talk about your life, your work as artist, and your work as as advocates. And I hope you will come back at some point to talk about some of the other things that you have going on. So thank you, Dominique Morisot and Jimmy Keys for being with us on Backstage Stories. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dominique Moriso and Jimmy Keys. Skeleton Crew resumes performances at MTC's Samuel J. Friedman Theater on January 11th. And a reminder, you can join me on opening night by emailing me at marcia at w. BAI.org. That's Marcia at WBAI.org. For more information about the play, visit SkeletonCrewThePlay.com. That's SkeletonCrewThePlay.com.